It's your Tuesday, Daily Delivery, Part 1. How about that? So much stuff going on in sports right now that I decided to break today's episode into two, and that might be a theme for later in this week as well. Whole nother uh, Part 2 of this episode coming right after this one where I will talk to Chris Hine about the Timberwolves setting up that game too. But this one will be devoted to, we got some Vikings talk. They started mandatory, I'm sorry, started voluntary, involuntary, voluntary, doesn't really matter. Most people are still there, but uh, these are voluntary workouts that they started um, out at, out at, uh, out in Egan this week on Monday. And uh, some notable names reportedly not there. Let's get into that here in a little bit. One guy who will be here for a long time, Pablo Lopez. Twins pitcher agreeing to a $73.5 million four, uh, four-year extension with the Twins on Monday as well. So lots of news right there off the jump. Want to dive into both of those subjects, why they're significant, things like that. First, though, obviously, what did I miss? And there's a decent chance you missed it. I, I, I will admit I could not stay up for the end of the wild game on Monday night after doing it the night before for the Wolves. This whole postseason with these 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30 starts, at least initially, uh, is going to be a real test, a real challenge for those of us who, um, for those of us who have to get up, uh, by the way, first of all, because I've got to get up always and do this do this show, and in some case, two shows. Um, and uh, so that that's going to be a test. I got through regulation, and I was like, you know what? I don't know when this thing is going to end. It looked, it had the feel and the look of a game that could go long, and you still had the you know the overtime admission, uh, overtime intermission, things like that. So I did not see you know more than ninety minutes into uh, the game, more than ninety minutes of ice time in when Ryan Hartman picked up essentially a loose puck in the Dallas end and scooped it past Jake Ottinger for a three-two wild double overtime win over Dallas in game one huge huge moment huge huge goal obviously I've watched the replay a bunch of times just one of those quintessential hockey plays right just one of those bounces that happens in overtime happens to those teams that get rewarded where you know it's a clearing attempt bounces off of Sam Steele who was huge in this game also had the tying goal in the second period on a breakaway but um, puck bounces to Hartman he, he finds it scoops it up uh puts it in the net for the 3-2 overtime win. Now, you cannot um, you can't overstate how big this win is obviously because when you win game 1 on the road, it sets you it sets you up for, you know, it sets you up for a series win in a certain way that just that you just can't really replicate any other way. You can win game 2, that's fine, but when you win game 1, set a tone like that, that changes my perspective on everything. Because I went into this thinking this is going to be a pretty daunting task to try to beat Dallas. I certainly thought the Wild could compete in this series that they that they had, you know, certainly had a chance to beat Dallas. But Dallas was coming in very hot, very, you know, they'd been playing some of their best hockey towards the end of the regular season to to get into second place, almost winning the division. Uh, in the central, but Colorado was almost as good as well down the stretch. So I was thinking, you know, this is going to be hard for the Wild. I could see them making it a series, but for as good as they've been this season, can they really do this? But they stuck to their style. That's the first point I want to make. This was a team that prided itself, that predicated it, uh, predicated itself on 
having a different style this year, one that maybe was going to be more effective in the postseason compared to last year and maybe even the year before that. Last year's you know, free-flowing team won a lot of games, 6-4, 5-3. It was a lot of fun to watch, had a lot of you know daunting, daring comebacks in the final moments with the goalie pulled. That's fun. That's fun for 82 games in the regular season. That does not necessarily translate to the playoffs when the stakes get raised, when defenses are sharper, when teams aren't as aren't as loose and they are far more buttoned up. And we saw that happen last year. Even though the Wild had the home ice against St. Louis, they fell in six games in that series to a team that was maybe more ready to win a playoff series this year different wild especially in that uh, the early part of that uh, of that 16 one and four stretch winning a lot of games 2 one 3-2 2-0 1-0 even in some cases and you know really really buttoning it up really you know the race to three is kind of the the cliche in in the postseason but that's that's the way the wild's been playing all year and that really showed in this game thought they had good poise thought they stuck to their game plan, stuck to the strategy that's been getting it done all year. And it sounds like head coach Dean Evison felt the same. Here he was after the game. You know, it was a great hockey game. The flows were back and forth. And, I mean, the overtimes, obviously, there's some unbelievable looks and great saves. And the hockey game had everything, Um, you know. So, yeah, we're happy the way that we held our composure and all that good stuff that everybody talks about in the playoffs. We we did it tonight. we got to do it again. Yeah, and we, we talked a lot about handling the situations, and there was a lot of situations in this hockey game that our group had to handle. Um, so it's a good it's a good first step. We uh, um, That is ultimate playoff hockey. I mean, the uh, the, the way that the, the everybody, their team, our team, was competing was uh, was the way the game should be played. Now, you can't play that style unless you get really good goaltending. The Wild has been, play, has been getting very good goaltending all season long, primarily uh, from Philip Gustafsson, the uh, goalie they got essentially not as a throw-in, but you know, as a guy that they thought was going to be the backup to uh, to Mark Andre Fleury this season, but he played his way into at least a goalie share and played his way into a game one start. He made 51 saves in this game, and there's a little bit of a shaky time in the second period where he gave up both of the goals that that Dallas got, both of them very quick on the power play. More on that in a moment, but. By and large, 51 saves, some huge ones in the third period, in the two overtime sessions. I mean, the Wild was dominating the shots on goal at one point in this game. It was like a 2-1 to one edge at one point in this game, like 27-13 to 13 at one point that I saw. Dallas ends up out-shooting them in this game, I believe 53-48. to 48. So Dallas really poured it on towards the end of this game. Um, you know, both goalies were great, Gustafson and Ottinger. Ottinger, the Lakeville, uh, former Lakeville goalie and Lakeville native Minnesota guy, he was tremendous in this game. But um, Gustafson just a little bit better, or at least one better on the scoreboard. That's got to give him a huge sense of confidence. First career playoff start, makes 51 saves, has the pressure of double overtime. If you were ever wondering if he was going to succumb to nerves or how he was going to look when the stakes were raised, now, you got all your answers in this game. It does not get more pressure-packed than overtime, double overtime in your playoff debut, and he answered all of those calls in this game. So that's got to feel good for them. I have to imagine 
that any kind of goalie questions, goalie controversy has been laid to rest. He's got to be the game two starter um, and and the starter for the, for the rest of the way as long as he's playing well. If by some stretch of the imagination he falters at some point, you can certainly try Flurry. But right now this is Gustafson's net, and he earned it again on uh, on Monday with that superb performance. Now, um, things the Wild need to clean up. Number one, um, and they kind of go hand in hand: faceoffs and penalties. Stars very good on the power play and the best faceoff team in the league this year. They beat them in that category in this game. Uh, the Stars did uh, by a pretty significant margin. I think they they won more than sixty faceoffs. The Wild was in the forties. You know, faceoffs are one of those things that can be a little bit overrated because the margins are pretty thin. In this case, I don't think it's overrated. I think Dallas's ability to win faceoffs, and you saw it on the power plays when they scored twice very quickly. Um, their ability to win faceoffs that that sets you up for a winning power play. The Wild is going to have to be conscious of that. They're not magically going to be better on faceoffs overnight, but they are going to have to figure out a way to slow Dallas down, especially on the power play. So if you, if you, if you limit the power play chances, limit the limit the ways that winning faceoffs can do damage. That is kind of a tandem thing, but it almost cost them in this game. I mean, the Wild was. In control of this game, you know, not so much on the scoreboard, it was just one nothing. but they were certainly playing their game, playing the way they wanted to play, and then the penalty started to mount in the second period. The Dallas got two quick ones, all of a sudden momentum, and the scoreboard was on Dallas's side. So momentum can turn quickly in that fashion on the power play when Dallas can win faceoffs when they have so much talent. You need to stay out of the box and keep that advantage as minimal as possible. So we'll be watching for that in Game 2 on Wednesday as well. couple final thoughts. Kirill Kaprizov was great in this game, especially earlier on. He had a goal. He had six shots. He was all over the ice. I thought he was tremendous. Not a surprise, of course, but you need your best players to rise to the occasion. He gave them that one nothing lead. He was getting chances all around the all around the game, all around the ice, even as time wore on. You need that from from your uh, from your best players. I mean that that goes without saying. Playoffs, you elevate at playoff time. You want everybody who you know carried you into the season needs to carry you even more in the postseason. And Kaprizov did it last year to the best of his ability. He was tremendous against the Blues. Couldn't couldn't carry him over the finish line, but that was not his fault at all last year. That was more a question of secondary scoring than anything. So if he can continue that play, and there's no reason to think he can't. That will give them a good edge going the rest of the way. But final thought is that you also need those role players to step up. And I've already mentioned Sam Steele. Um, you know, he gets the he makes the play in overtime where, where the puck deflects off him, goes to Hartman, he scores. Um, Steele gets the game tire in the second period, totally changes the complexion of the game with that breakaway goal um, to, to tie the score after the momentum had totally shifted to Dallas. You know, a guy that maybe wouldn't even be in the lineup if the team, if the Wild were fully healthy right now um, with Joel Erickson X still out. But he comes through in a big, big way, gets them the tying goal. And then Ryan Hartman, I don't know if I'd call him a role player because he's a first-line center. He had more than 30 goals last season, but he has not been a primary scorer for them this year. Still shows that he's got it. He's got the touch when the, when the game is on the line. He does the thing he, he needs to do, gets the puck. You know, makes a nice move, a little deke, and then has a wide open net to finish this game off. You need guys beyond your top line um, or beyond your primary scores, I should say, to uh, to get it done in addition to your best players. So 
there you go. That was the formula. It's, it feels like this is going to be a great series, doesn't it? I mean, if, you, if, if the first game establishes the longest overtime, longest playoff game in wild history, you can imagine that this game could go. Pre- this this series could go pretty deep. I would be all for that. My sleep would not be all for that, but I would be all for that in terms of just the good. You know, just the good watching, the good intensity. It's gonna it's gonna be dramatic. It's gonna test some nerves. It tested the players' nerves. It's going to test some fans' nerves. But this is what we. This is why you know. This is why we watch. This is why hockey is so tremendous. Once you get to the postseason, this feels like it could be a classic series. We'll see on Wednesday if this continues. We'll see what's left in the tank for these teams. It's going to take a lot more than that, obviously, to win a a playoff series. And I think that was characterized by some of what the what the players and Dean Evison were saying after the game, trying to kind of move on to the next one, even as they were celebrating this one. But we will all be watching as late as we can. Maybe they can finish it off in regulation next time. That would be nice. But uh, we're not complaining. It's tremendous hockey, and the Wild came out on top. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's move on to some of the other news from Monday, which was plentiful, as I mentioned on uh, at, at the jump of this show, at the jump of part one. Like I said, there's a part two coming up right in tandem with this, where I talked to Chris Hine in depth a little bit more about that Wolves playoff game from Sunday and what they can do to right the ship as they try to get much better in Wednesday's Game 2. And that Game 2, of course, coinciding with Wild Game 2, Games 2 through 5, all on the same date. So it's going to be some busy playoff watching over the next week or so. Um, But a couple things uh, news-wise before we get out of here. One, uh, Twins giving Pablo Lopez a $73.5 million four-year extension, buying out you know one more year of team control and then some free agency seasons. He's been tremendous at the start of this season. He has a 1.73 ERA in his four starts so far this year, 33 strikeouts already in 26 innings pitched. Um, this is interesting because it's the largest contract the Twins have ever given to a pitcher and you imagined right that when you trade a batting champ like Luis Arias and the primary piece coming back is a pitcher like Pablo Lopez you imagine the Twins have more than the short term in mind you imagine they looked at him and identified him as someone who could be a rotation mainstay going forward um, but I guess the, the timing of this maybe surprises me just a little bit a because he does have he did have a year of team control left and B, because it is so early in his tenure, but they they must have looked at him, looked at his trajectory, looked at what he's done so far, been okay with, you know, health stuff. He he was durable last season. He's had some arm stuff in the past, but he's been pretty durable lately. Must have looked at all that and said, this is a pitcher worth investing in right now. We've seen enough to give him this contract. Um, and like I said, it's the biggest contract the Twins have ever given a pitcher. The Irvin Santana was the largest contract before that, but this is $20 million more than that contract. Um, 
And it's just, you know, it goes to show that they are willing to spend money on quality. And I think that's maybe some of the sh- the shifting narrative with this team, right? They they paid Byron Buxton a fair amount of money. They gave the $200 million contract to Carlos Correa over six years, which could be even longer if he meets certain thresholds. And now giving this, now giving this contract to Pablo Lopez... All of those guys deserving in their own way. Buxton with you know what he's able to do when he's on the field. Correa with his track record as an all-around player, and now Lopez, you know, trending towards being a, a top of the rotation pitcher for years to come. Um, just what his ceiling is, I think, remains to be seen. I don't think we can declare him to be an ace right now, but he is pitching like an ace for the Twins right now. He is the clear-cut number one for them right now on a staff on a rotation that's been very good this season. Um, so he's you know he's got the he's got the fastball. He's got this sweeper pitch that he's developed, um, which you know is a, I had to ask Phil Miller a couple weeks ago like what is a sweeper? And he explained it very well. It's kind of like a it's got a lot of side to side break. It's not so much concerned with the up down motion or the kind of the late break, but it's been very hard for hitters to 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 track and hit this season, especially right handers. So that piece of it is interesting if he continues to develop that pitch, continues to get better because he's still relatively young. You know, a guy that they can build a rotation around, especially a rotation that does not have a lot of committed pitchers beyond this season. Talking about, you know, Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, Kenta Maeda, all um, all expiring contracts after this season. Guys like Joe Ryan, maybe Bailey Ober, Louis Varlin, perhaps part of future rotations and then building around that with some other veterans. But this Pablo Lopez signing could be is is a sign that this is this is a pitcher they want to be at the top of the rotation for years to come and decided just let's lock this up right now. Let's not mess around. Let's not wait for the number to get even bigger if the if the ERA keeps getting smaller and let's keep going like that. Other piece of news on uh, on Monday was maybe less surprising. This and then Lopez wasn't so much surprising as was maybe the timing. Um, the, not surprising they'd want to keep him or that they would sign him to an extension. But the, the the piece of news that was maybe less surprising came from Vikings voluntary workouts on Monday. Dalvin Cook, at least according to wide receiver KJ Osborne, was not there. The Vikings trying to figure out what to do with him. Going forward, he is under contract, but they also re-signed Alexander Madison. A lot of questions about whether they will try to trade Dalvin Cook. I know now, you know, soon, sooner rather than later, like around draft time, that does spur a lot of action. Um, it was reported by ESPN that, that Daniil Hunter was not expected to report. They don't have access to these workouts because they are uh, they are voluntary. But there was a question about Hunter and Zadarius Smith. Something's got to give with the running backs. Something's got to give with, you know, what you know, the, the edge rushers, I guess we'll call them now. We would, you know, in a 4-3, we'd call them defensive ends. In this case, we call them outside linebackers. Whatever the case, I don't think you're going to keep Marcus Davenport, Zadarius Smith, and Daniil Hunter. Um, Hunter wants a new contract. I think Smith would like a new contract too. You know, somebody's somebody's not somebody's not happy, and something's got to give with with how much how many guys they've got at these positions and how much they are counting against the salary cap, how much money they are making right now. Hunter, to me, still has the most trade value of of anybody on the roster. I would think maybe Dalvin Cook's got some some decent trade value too. So Darius Smith might have some trade value, although he tried to say goodbye to the team on social media last month. So I don't know where his head is at with all of this. Um, so you got to weigh in how how players are feeling, how motivated they are, how motivated they are to be here. But 
if you just look at it from from a pure value perspective, Hunter's a couple years younger. Has made he he was on a Hall of Fame kind of path a few years ago before injuries kind of derailed him. But he came back last year, proved he was durable. Maybe is a better fit in a different scheme. Maybe that could be a a something for them to consider going forward if they could get some value for him leading up to the draft. Had to recoup a top one hundred pick get some more help that they are going to need going forward. So watch for that. Watch for any other stuff that's coming from that. The draft is just nine days away now, so something's got to give pretty soon. And uh, we'll see if it is something to do with Hunter, maybe Dalvin Cook, maybe still Zadarius Smith. A lot to shake out still here in the closing days before the draft. Let's finish quick with the cooler in this part one. Emma Bates of Elk River finishes fifth in the Boston Marathon on Monday, um, fastest American finisher um, f- set her set her personal record by more than a minute. Finished in two hours, twenty two minutes, ten seconds. It was the second fastest Boston Marathon ever by an American woman. Amazing finish for her. Um, her, her quote was, "I was at mile twenty, looking at my coach, like I don't know what's happening, but I guess we'll go with it." Uh, it was really surreal for the longest time. She kind of ignored. Some of her coach's advice, uh, her coach told her not to go out with the leaders, but she was right there and uh, finishes fifth in this race, um, you know, right in that pack towards the end, um, only about 30 seconds behind the, the leader at the end. So congratulations to her. I cannot even imagine running that fast. I can't imagine doing marathons. I've done some in my past, five to be exact, but running that fast for that long, and uh, being a part of history is uh, is something that she will never forget. So tremendous accomplishment for her. Congrats. And, uh, you know, hopefully she'll have a nice long career and uh, have even more accolades to come. That will do it for this part of the podcast. Hope you stick around for part two with some Timberwolves talk. Um, until then, I'm Michael Rand. We'll be back at it again right now, but also again on Wednesday. <laughs>